All right, season two, episode two, Growth Vault. I'm here with my boys, Aaron Orndorff, AO, and Robert Rahil. And uh, we're here to talk to you about all things marketing, B2B, yeah. and you know, just being cool guys who wear hats. This is the, uh, <laughs> uh, I got to get a hat calendar to make sure that like I'm rotating as like, what, what day did I wear? What? Yeah, because when the videos yeah. start popping, right? I don't want to look like I wear the same. Like, I, I want to show that I, I've 100%, got like dude. Variety. 100%. I'm excited for this one. I think how we're going to run this is like some topics we, we find interesting in the market. We have a main topic that I'm going to let AO uh, go into once we have it. Uh, and then we're going to have a few little, little segments that we go into here. But I guess guys, Gosh. like. Has there been anything over the last couple of weeks since we last convened that, um, that I don't know, have just struck you or any, any kind of business updates on anything you've seen that, I don't know, just kind of out of bounds? I think one thing I thought was super interesting is like a lot of the um, updates Slack is making to their product. That was really like really crazy. Uh, when I listen to a podcast, so like forgive me if I'm co- exactly copying them, but I thought it was really interesting looking at kind of everything they're doing with AI and trying to build out the entire work system inside of Slack. And then they have this little like Salesforce-led thing where it's like, oh yeah, and you can also do sales enablement on this thing. And it's like, well, okay, so you have- They bought them. Right? Remember Sorry. they bought them though. Remember no, I know, Salesforce I know. bought them. Yeah, 100% yeah. know that they did that. It's just kind of a funny like, this is what Slack wanted to build. This is what they had to build because Salesforce was like, yo, you're doing this shit because we're integrating yeah. this into them. So 100% understand. I'm just curious like, that's one thing I thought about that was super interesting. I just don't know how I feel about like spending more time in Slack. So that's my pushback on that is I spent enough time in there. I kind of like getting away and turning it off. I mean, going and doing deep work other places or having an organization in another place. That's my one thing. I don't know what you guys have been thinking about or what you think of that specifically. I'll jump in and then I'll toss it over to AO to close it out. I think, uh, and you actually did a really good thread. We should probably link to it about it. I think the challenge with Slack right now is there is so many jobs to be done for different people. And so there is a certain aspect of maybe certain users actually appreciated the redesign, whereas I did not. I think it was you, Chase, or somebody gave me the hack where I can now expand my workspaces because I'm in workspaces that some, and maybe this is just a me thing that I need to figure out, but I'm in like some workspaces where I just lurk and I could literally care less about any updates, notifications, et cetera. But when I see like the Slack notification, it like gives me this stress. And so when it's all stacked together, I hated it. But now that it's branched out, that isn't that big of an issue. I think one of the challenges with Slack is it's kind of in that notion space where, and maybe that's a business that makes a lot of sense, but when I was at Triple Whale, our, our Slack was atrocious in the sense of like there were so many things going on. But once I took literally 30 minutes to an hour, so I don't know uh, for all our listeners out there, you can actually make like groups of channels. And that really helped me out where I, I basically had this beautiful sidebar. We had a lot of automated channels like sales, bug channel, things of that nature. I wanted to be able to peek in every now and then mute the notifications, put them in the automated channels. I had my main channels and then I had the marketing squad, HR, dev, and I really started to section it out and it gave me a lot of clarity and ability to get into things that I wanted to. Because I think at the end of the day, Slack, for me anyways, the job to be done is it's an internal comms tool. Email is still external, but it was just a really nice place. You can bookmark stuff, you can do things. And we actually built a whole system at triple for the marketing department where essentially like you would have a project and if that project was going to have a lot of communications attached to it so like for example the whaley's there was just a big build up there so we have a whaley's channel that whaley's channel is now linked to the notion project and then also any sort of resources also linked in that channel and so you can make like a nice circular loop but um the too long didn't read is what i'm getting at it's a lot of work to set it up efficiently and i don't think a lot of people do that. And that drives a really terrible experience with Slack. Furthermore, I think there should be some sort of Slack etiquette. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I fucking hate when people don't reply in threads. Like it drives me crazy because you lose a ton of contacts. It's it's like my biggest red flag. But that has... That has to come from the top, right? Like you can't mandate that to other people's departments or your leadership, things of that nature. 
So I think the two things there is also don't, some don't at here when you uh, don't at here or at channel if there's no need to at channel. So here's a little pro tip for you. I thought those are the same thing. What's interesting, if you do at here, it'll only message people that are active. If you do at channel, that's the mass blast, which oh. is which is really fast. I thought it was the same, same, not the same, same. Um, Why aren't they like, they don't even onboard but, you on this stuff. Like here are some like- But this codes. is what, yeah. precisely, this is what I'm yeah. trying to get at is yeah. it's not necessarily that Slack's design is terrible. It's more so the Steve Jobs, you're holding it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So it is what it is, but I think if you do set it up correctly, you do have etiquette that is implemented throughout the whole company. It's actually a really incredible comms tool. And then the last thing I will add is eradicating the assumption that it's instantaneous communication. Um, I think that's not a great assumption and you start to uh, break people's focus. But anyways, super long ramble. AO, take us home. It speaks so directly to the fundamental problem right now with the arms race via AI. You mentioned Notion. I do not need another effing writing assistant. What I need from AI is to do exactly what you were talking about. Because those are the unlocks. The unlocks is the manual. It's like, I think it's almost the same as a UTM naming convention structure. It's it's, it's an optimization. Yes. And so like the thing that leads to delight is what are the power users doing to manage it? And what you just described is a big unlock, understanding what the different ads do, how to create user groups, how to group yeah. your channels, all these big deals. Now the connections is involved, right? How do I actually separate those into usable sections instead of the default that Slack sets up? Yeah. Etiquette is a really big one. And whoever wins that arms race to AI isn't the one that bolts on more, can I write faster? It's can you actually accelerate what's working for the power users? And yeah. that's the big gap that I see in a lot of this, where there's that disconnect well between the people that are using it really well to drive productivity in any form. And that goes across the board, different notions, a great example. Slack's a good example. Naming conventions is places where if what I need from AI is to take the best of the best and start making the active suggestions. And for something like Slack, where there's really low risk of do, I would like, if I didn't undo button, I'd be like, yeah can auto do all that for me AI. And then if you get me 90% of the way there, amazing. It's such a, yeah, right. I see those, those hands. Th- that's the win. So well said. And I think yeah. that's to your point, um, when you get into some real fun and interesting implementations of AI, because to your point right now, there's just nothing that has like all this stuff is really cool and like awesome. But again, like nothing is writing an essay for me. It's definitely great. Like it's like super awesome hyper editor, really interesting to brainstorm with it. But I've just found that to your point, there's not been this crazy unlock for me, whereas something like this would be incredible where you can go and say, hey, this is the teams that I have, the X, Y, or Z, like some semblance of an onboarding. And it spins up these channels and like, here's the description of the channel, the etiquette of the channel, et cetera, et cetera. And you can have your different flavors. I think that's a really brilliant idea, AO, because it's candidly a lot of work. And a lot of people are lazy. They're not lazy, but they just have so much other things going on, especially early growth stage, like telling your boss, oh, I spent two hours branding the Slack, setting up all the channels, making it super efficient. They're going to like, you're fired. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's just a certain aspect in this growth stage. And we were, Chase and I were kind of talking about that too. When you get into this super early growth stage, there is a need for systems and optimizations and things of that nature. But at the same time, like there's not really like, you got to go out and kill first. Like you don't need a refrigerator yet. You need fucking meat. Or if you're, you know, vegetarian, you need to go put some seed the fields so you can reap the harvest before you even get tools or anything. So I think it's a growth problem in that sense of like, it's a good problem to have. But at the same time, if you don't do it, you can see a lot of long-term debt build up in terms yes. of organizational issues. But at the same time, if you do do it, it's really politically scary because you really can't chalk that up to any wins to your boss because candidly your boss doesn't care your boss cares about either pipeline or sales or some sort of like move the business forward metric i don't really care that you got a faster or a bigger cart we need a faster horse kind of stuff yeah i mean the big call out on this is like if you're going to do something like this do it in your own time 
for you, not for your boss. Like it's for your personal optimization. So like I have a bunch of tools that I use that have nothing to do with like the business specifically. I'll pay for them myself, but it's for me to do a better job at work. One thing I think about AI, I think we're, I don't say we're there completely because it's not like still full mass market as much as we all talk about it. Right. But there will be this kind of diminishing return on the novelty and what happens with the acquisition novelty of AI specifically. Like, saw it a pencil, dude. There was this huge wave of like, oh, you're AI. You're one of the first ones. You're going to get. And we had it early. And then we had, an, like, I would say a later stage one, which is kind of the open AI wave on the back end. The idea, though, is at the end of the day, people come in and like, is this actually fucking useful? Right? It's not, oh, is this cool? Does this do the thing? So like, I'll use OpenAI for an example. So like, I've tried thousands at this point of permutations of using it. The best one I found the other day was we recorded a Loom video, Dylan and I, and it was like an FAQ type thing. I took the transcript. It was five minutes. I said, make a SaaS FAQ in eight bullet points or less that customers can read on intercom and it spit out 95% perfect stunning FAQ. And I was like, all right, I just got to kind of optimize this copy paste add the loom video in there, watch this or read this, whatever is your flavor. And that essentially I did the entire help center doing that. What would have taken me two, three days took me two hours right now. It's like, okay, this is a huge unlock for me. I can give this to the team. I can build an SOP easy money, but If you're trying to, and I've said this for years at this point now, if you're trying to have AI change your life, not going to happen. If you're trying to have it optimize your life and you know what you need optimized and you can give it the instructions, life will be fantastic. But everyone goes with the former, not the latter. And when you see someone doing the latter, you're like, they know how to use AI. And it's like, no, they're just not fucking following the hype train. And so that's kind of my big one. And again, I, I sound like an old guy, AI guy screaming at the sky um, right now, just having been in it and dealing with this kind of in, like this expectation that people have out of it. I know we came off of Slacks. I think for me with the Slack thing, because you guys had so many great points, it really comes back to, can you have an implementation that's useful? So I, I've said this, you and Rob, you said something at the top. I didn't, I didn't cut in. We said like, all this stuff is cool, bro. If your product is cool, you're fucked. Like if the thing you're talking about is cool, like it's not useful. You know what I mean? Every single one of the things that our customers love are useful. And yeah, they're cool on top because they can get cool stuff out of it. But at the core, is there the utility that has a huge multiple that makes them feel like paying for them? Like they're they're stealing from you, essentially. And so... Anyway, we're going off on. The, I'm going off on the tangent there. Obviously, I'll let you guys retort or respond on that. But I feel very strongly about useful versus cool. Like the vectors, you see, kind of all the products that are, have big market caps or have huge growth trajectories. It's all they live in this useful, well priced quadrant that essentially allows them to have hyperscale. And all the ones that don't are either cool and priced well or not priced well and useful and like they kind of have their own slower trajectory, but hyperscale ones it's like price plus usefulness plus brand on top that is a rocket ship yeah okay i got one retort and only to agree because this is fresh in my mind of thinking through black friday through cyber monday yeah. strategies and we're doing this event uh where it's all about keeping the momentum going what do you do post cyber monday into december and then on to the new year to keep the momentum going yeah and i love that what you just said useful not cool right there's all these cool ideas especially because it's text right so one of the really cool ideas was this uh we stole it from socket who ran a haunted house last year they're going to run another one this year and it's all done through text where you have to like turn left turn right open the door shut the door like it's this adventure all right 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 love love and so like what would that look like for like a santa guide him through the house christmas is coming soon is he down the chimney oh no that's a fire in the fireplace but that's cool right the act so, so the far stream like side of that is in my presentation what i'm saying is all right get ready for the most boring slides you've ever seen for the next five minutes you know what you should actually do what you should okay go do that if that's fun what you should actually do is go set up every freaking order notification, fulfillment notification, transactional and post-purchase notification between Cyber Monday and the big gift giving day, because that is the only time anybody ever guaranteed wants to hear from a brand is between the time they give you their money and get the thing they gave you their money for 
and the holidays only make that more so. Go create a Pavlovian response. And then I show all the screenshots of like, here's the eight notifications in Shopify. These are what the eight notifications look like in Wonderment. Like it's so boring and it's useful as hell. And I like that you just said that because it's like, yeah, that, that one thing is cool. That's neat. That's fun. That's sexy. That'll, uh, we can ship that. But like the other side is like, yo, just go do this stuff that if you put money into this, you're going to get more money out of it. Yeah. So I kind of like the pitch of what you just said as like the pitch to brands almost as like, hey, here's this really cool thing that you could do that's going to make you zero dollars. Like, go do it. Here's how you do it. Or here are all the things that will make sure that your customers are happy and you make money. Right. And like that actually is incredible. And I would laugh my ass off if I was a brand. I'm like, yo, they kind of they're, like they're having fun with it. Right. So I, I, I dig that. We sh- that should be. That should 100% be. And also, it's kind of the whole price anchoring thing, right? Like, you could do this or you could do this. And this is actually the thing you should be doing. So, yeah, that that is lovely. If that doesn't turn into a video and a thread at some point in the next, yeah, like, two weeks, 100%. three weeks, I will fail both of you. I will. Yeah, because it is. Um, and actually, that leads real. oh, my goodness. This leads so well into the main topic today. You good if I just push right into it? Hammer it, dude. Yeah, because one of the thoughts that's been haunting me all year is... Oh, I see what you did there. Okay. The, the thought <laughs> is this. Kids on it today. Kids on it today. What do you do when nothing is working? And I, real honestly, like that has been where I've, I've lived there since end of January, probably into mid-August. So we're now recording this right around October, which means I spent the majority of my year living in this place of like borderline feeling like the house is on fire. What do we save? What do we do? And I know this is true across consumer D2C e-com. It goes right into the worlds of B2B because if the humans aren't spending as much money, then the humans powering the humans to spend money aren't spending as much money, right? So it's one of those trickle down into B2B for sure. What do you do when when nothing else is working? And I'll throw my first idea out there. And it goes right back to this cool versus useful. That's right. You saw, you saw I was going with this. Because my my gut response, I stole this from Tommy Walker, who was my boss at Shopify Plus when I first started at Shopify Plus. He stole this maxim from Pep Lejah, previously Conversion XL, CDXL, now Winter Branding. Absolute killer, as you would say. Like killer among killers, that gentleman. His phrase was, optimize closest to the money. That's my default of, when nothing else is working, where is the lowest bottom of the funnel activity I can go to make the biggest actual dollar impact? Not how do I get more eyeballs on a new thing? Not even how do I nurture possibly our existing database to identify, slice and dice, better segmentation. That might be some of the stuff I'll talk about later on, but it really comes down to what's the useful thing I can exchange some money for a lot more money for. And that always is closest to the money. It's like optimizing your checkout experience before all of the other stuff that comes before that. And in B2B, I think about that in the sense of the second somebody raises their hand, because there's always going to be, there's going to be a certain group of people that forever and always, as long as your site is up and running, are showing up, filling out a demo, filling out an intent form, and then what happens next? How do we get them into that meeting and then from the meeting into negotiation or trial? That's where I look to, if nothing else is working, where can I go to start making real dollar impacts is in the guts of that experience closest to the money. That's my starting point. I love that. I think for me- I have an interesting um, perspective on this. So because- Pencil wasn't is it is an ad ad creation platform. When iOS 14 hit, we had this like kind of latent churn problem, but the fucking bottom about two months after. So let's say it was like April, May-ish, it hit. In about June, July, it was like, oh fuck. Everyone churned and pipeline just grinded to a halt. Like nothing. And like it's product, it's product, which easy answer. And you, you can't say it's market. No one wants to hear that this is just the market. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go. So I was like, I'm just going to go on a, like a tour of talking to people. I had that month because before closing sales, it was, I had no sales calls to do. So I went on a, hey, I'm going to go like on a tour of talking to people. I talked to probably 80 different 
old customers, prospective customers, people in the market, like, hey, what's going on? So I aggregated all the information. This was the first thing. I said, look, guys, this is kind of the consistent theme that I'm finding here. What can we do? So the first one was, okay, people are trying to consolidate things as always. What can we do? Let's offer some services. So I wrote a thread about this at one point about like, we started, to, we tried to start an agency. So I closed a fucking lot of deals on that. Worst idea ever. The reason those brands are coming to Pencil to do it is because they're, we're like cheap and they've gone through five. So they have bad businesses because if someone goes through five agencies, it's not the agency. It's usually the brand. They have just a bad business right. and they can't handle it. So like that was, so we ran through a bunch of experiments. I think the thing that we missed was when things are going bad, you tend to optimize like all of these things that will get you closer to the money without having a, like a longer time horizon around like, what should you actually be? So like, we should have gone hard on community for a much long, like for much, for much earlier than we did. So like we went from July to April, just focusing on product and revenue. Totally understand what I would have done if I could go back and say, okay, let's focus on product and community and with community revenue will come in. And we can spend all of our time building out kind of the content community side of things, which Raba is, uh, Raba and you are both experts in. And the minute I did that in April of 2022, you start seeing this like nice change because they're like, okay, we've now gotten ourselves this good amount of inflow of people that are coming from different social channels, et cetera. We have some visibility. And then the market started to pick up, but we already had this tailwind of community and brand that allowed the market tailwind to double up and have like a much better multiple than it would have had by itself. So I guess my TLDR on that is like, focus on, like if you have a good enough time horizon, what's the thing that will make, will give you mul like multiples on the impact you can have once things turn around? Because undoubtedly they usually do. Like if, mm -hmm. especially if it's a market dynamics mm -hmm. thing, they will. So you want to have something that has kind of a, like there has to be some sort of three to one, four to one, five to one kind of asymmetric ratio that comes back from it because doing product and doing sales is a one to one calibration because it's just you're optimizing for today. And so you got to do both yes. things really fucking hard. But that would be that was the thing that I did that I've, I've advised other people to do. They found really helpful, but it's a complete mind shift because you are getting pressed down by finance all the time. Like, dude, you got to yes. hit your numbers. You got to hit your numbers. Yes. Oh, we're dying. We're dying. We're dying. What are we going to do? And so you have to just balance those two things. I think 100%, it's a, such a good question. Like, what do you think of that? Is that is that a crazy idea? Like, because obviously, Robo was really successful kind of focusing there. Let me jump in frozen, here because I, I think those are really, really great perspectives. Well, what do you think, Ao? Let me jump in first, Chase. We got to get you better internet. You got like a Robert, war correspondent over here. We're rolling. We're rolling, baby. So I think what AO said is really, is really frozen? prescient. Things are good, Chase. You're just in slow-mo right now. This is incredible. So what to do when things are not working? So the thing for me is, one, ideally you don't get to this place because you have a diversification of bets that something will start to land and you can shift things. But assuming that all your bets are broken, they don't land, everything is just really coming tits up. I like to think of it in two layers. Is this structural or seasonal? And I know you don't want to take seasonal to leadership, but market dynamics are a thing. And so you need to understand, hey, like for example, with Triple Whale, Q4, if we didn't get any sales or any pipeline within kind of early Q3 to October, like... November and December are essentially dead months for us because you throw in December holidays, you throw in the everybody's done for Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and then you exacerbate that with the fact that nobody wants to retool or have to look at something new and start to calibrate again in the most important time of the year. Like you're going to go to battle with what you have. So is it a seasonal thing? Is it a structural thing? If it's a structural thing, that's when you start to get worried because when it's structural, then you need to understand that your first principles and the identification of your jobs to be done are incorrect. Like you are not driving value for users in the way that they care about. And so that's when you go back to, for me, the retooling of essentially it's cheaper to just to blow up the house and build a new one, then try and renovate the house. So what I would suggest is kind of what Chase did is obviously you have to keep some semblance of BAU running, but 
there's just no point in running down the wrong path if you have a broken compass. You're just never going to find the port that matters to you. And so you really need to recalibrate that compass and understand what the job to be done that these people are hiring you for. And then from that, you can start to re-solidify your first principles and then start to make better bets in that sense. With all that being said, it's a really hard sell. So like you have to find a way to see if you can truncate that into, you know, say a 30 day timeline or something of that nature where it's like, okay, boss, here's what's happening. None of this stuff is working. I don't have the clarity and you want to rephrase it because you don't really ever want to say negatives or I don't know kind of thing. But you just kind of say, hey, I need to retool kind of what our marketing messaging is because it's not resonating with right now with the people. And I don't know, again, stay away from the I don't knows, but I want to start interviewing people to discover this. Here's the game plan. In 30 days, I'll have you a new plan with new initiatives that will then get us towards our goals. That's how I would structure it because I think if not, you're just going to be in a place of, you're just going to be making shit up and you're not going to get down paths that are productive. Um, You might have some really good ideas, but until you understand again what that user is hiring you for, how you're generating value for these people, Hmm. it's going to be a really hard slog because I, I just don't know how you would recalibrate that stuff. Like to going back to optimization, there's really no point in optimizing something that isn't working. Like if you have a flow that's totally optimized, but isn't converting, like, does that really even fucking matter? So that's, I think the balance between growth and optimization, like you need growth first, and then you can start to get optimization. Cause the other thing is optimization really doesn't matter until you're at scale. One or two percentage points isn't a big deal for a really small business. One or two percentage points for somebody doing $100 million a year can be transformative for the business. So anyways, I kind of threw a lot at you, but the too long didn't read. Is it seasonal or structural? If it's seasonal, what can I do right now in terms of org optimizations, things where I can retool the company to be even better and more awesome when the market does come back and be really prepped to, to smash, for example, like Q1. So Q4 was a big prep quarter for us outside of October. So all of our initiatives on October were quick hits and need to be there. And then November, December was just essentially awareness campaigns and making sure people know Triple Whale, we're creating value for people, et cetera. But a lot of times they're just, you're not going to change those people's minds because they their whole point is to make more money for their business. And there's not really a good way that you can de-risk that. And so if you're in that space, then you need to understand, okay, cool. This is the time that I can go to my boss and say, hey, I want to set up Slack. I really want to nail down the sales funnel. We need to hit hit our rev ops really heavy to make sure everybody has visibility. I want to make sure all our analytics and tagging is in place, et cetera. These really boring things that, again, aren't very cool, but they're super useful. And then from that, nail down some first principles, do some jobs to be done, interviews, And just reconfigure the thesis that you had is what I would suggest to most people. Because if you go down the optimization path or things of that nature, like you're just going to be better at being worse. So I want to I want to echo what was just said, as well as defend myself for one hot second. Because you all just like optimize closest to the money. What I mean by optimize in that sense is not how do we create a small change through the funnel, tick Mm. by tick. One to five percent, one to five percent. I mean, if the last step is sign the contract, what can we do to increase that by 10%? If the step immediately before that is improve the contract, getting the right person in the room mm. so that any final pitch meeting is that what needs to be solved? How can we, what's what are the smallest changes that can make the biggest difference? Is what I mean by optimize closest to the money. So just taking a step back into your area of ownership yeah. piece by piece, right down to if I can actually make the open and click-through rate of the demo request to schedule a demo 10% higher, right? that's a big move compared to actually increasing the conversion rate of that page itself. Of the people who have already raised their hands, how do I get them to show up in the room? And I really want to aim at making that not just a 10% change, but like a 20% change. Yeah. It's a small absolute number that if I go from five to seven, that sort of thing, right? That's a big actual percentage change. So that one, I want to defend myself. Number two, here's why this is the beautiful thing about what both of you just said. And I want to say it out loud. What both of you just said is actually the first thing you would do is go talk to 
the humans that are buying from you. I heard that narrative all throughout. And I want you to say it out loud because that is not, that is not the knee jerk reaction of most marketers. At least that has not been my experience. Marketers are really slow to go out there and mix it up. Whereas like sales, you have to. Your yes. BDR, your SDRs, your partnerships, like they just have to be out there in the trenches. Marketing gets this respite of like, oh, I don't really have, but no, what both of you said, even when the way you talk, Rob, about the jobs to be done, you're anchoring that in not a neat new idea, but in like, go talk to the humans. And this is the powerful two for one for that, because nothing has worked better when nothing else is working than getting into the world of the people that I want to sell to by hook or by crook any means necessary. And even if it's under the guise and the real honest guys of this isn't working, I'm having trouble. Can I talk it through with you? That opens new conversations and doors that actually do lead to big wins later on by just nurturing those relationships. So it's a really powerful two for one to get out there and freaking talk to people, get in their world. That's the biggest one. And that seasonal versus structural great divide there too, as well. Yeah. And so to, to kind of anchor your point as well, I don't think you're wrong. I just think what you were describing is more of a order of operations of structural where it's like, are there big structural holes? Like, oh my gosh, like we're getting the worst people in the room. Why are we getting these people in the room? Okay, let's get better. We can build messaging around that to get better people in the room. Or there's some sort of semblance where we're driving people to a closed door. Why are we doing that? There should be less friction here, et cetera, or more friction to get better qualified clients, et cetera, et cetera. That's a structural thing. And so I totally agree with you there. And that, that can be, for me, that's, to your point, probably the highest, that's the last thing I do before I go to this rebuild because it's like, okay, cool. Like what's happening here? If we do still have funnel velocity, why isn't it working? And then it's like, okay, cool. This isn't like, this is structural and not seasonal. Like I need to figure out what what's going on because we we've lost the plot and we need to go make a sequel. That's even better. Well, and the so, other, what I love about to your thing on the seasonal versus structural and Chase, you kind of danced on this as well, but it was just breathing when nothing is working, breathe and go talk to people. Yeah. Go, go talk to people and breathe yeah, because it's, yeah. it's not going to last forever. And there's an emotional side of that, that, that so resonates with me. Of the worst thing you can do is make decisions out of fight or flight. And you're going to, it's going to feel like that when nothing's working and the pressure is mounting and, what you still have to treat yourself. You still have to be nice to yourself. You still have to be nice to yourself. You still have to breathe. You still, yeah. Like and that's honestly like a really big part of problem solving is if you're not in the right emotional state to do that, that has to be said also when nothing's working. Oh my gosh. The feelings of like failure being outmatched, being outclassed, being beaten. Just give yourself the freedom to say that, to breathe and get to a safe place again, because you're going to make better decisions. I want to put a, I don't know, pin is not the right word, but I, I, an add-on I have here is I'm listening to both of you and like blowing my mind completely with, with what you guys are saying. Ayo, what you talked about in terms of like funnel optimization and the step changes and what it actually means to bump a number by 20%, yeah. the thing that we're talking about is synthesizing quant and qual at the same time, right? It's like, okay, you got to walk through your quant model and make sure that it's not working anymore or it's not having a meaningful difference. Hey, I made this step change at the top of the funnel. We're getting 20% more people like leads in the door. And they are MQLs, right? Because they have come through this funnel, but they're not good enough to close. Or when they close, there's a high churn rate. So like it's not an actual kind of net revenue retention conversation, which yep. is really what we're optimizing for. And so yep. once you have enough data, this is kind of the key, the key crux of this. You have enough data on your funnel to say, okay, the quant is not quanting. The math doesn't math, right, Rob? The quant isn't quanting. You have to kind of say what we're talking about, which is, all right, I've got to go and be among the people and become a man of the people, right? And say, okay, like what, what is actually happening? Is my story resonating? What are you actually, what do you care about? And I remember like, I will give you kind of a, I don't know, it sounds crazy, but 18 months ago, my uh, second son was born and it was like a week before I had this call with this like 22 year old guy it's like, dude, you're on LinkedIn, you're sending emails, like everyone in e-com is on Twitter. And I had been very anti-Twitter, which sounds kind of funny now. And he's like, go check it out. Everyone's there. All right. So I go and I'm like, check it out. And I was like, all right, I'm going to be in the hospital for two days with this kid doing nothing, right? Besides taking care of it when he's crying. I'm just going to go hard to Twitter for two days and see what happens. 
My wife was sleeping. Kid was sleeping. Dude, I, I got like 10 sales calls during that time. I'm like, oh my God, because nothing had been working, right? And I'm like, all right, dude, I'm just going to try something new, like whatever, because I had quanted the hell out of myself. I got nothing else to do. Let's go, go talk to people. And this is a one to many. And I like, I had six followers at the time. So it was like total that guy who has six followers and is following 75 people. And you're like, dude, the ratios don't work here. I'm not replying to your DM. Okay. But you saw the more like, you're like, okay, this is where people are. This is where conversation happens. Then you start having these individual conversations. Obviously you do it with the people you have in kind of your CRM already. But like what I'm saying kind of in a TLDR version here is you got to go through the math. And then make sure that you have gone through it. You can prove that like, look, I have done every single thing that I can to optimize this. It's not working to Rob's point. It is not seasonal. This is a structural thing, a bedrock thing that we need to go and mm-hmm. pummel that concrete and re-pour again. And is that a messaging thing? Is that an ICP thing? Is that a pricing thing? Or is that a product so, thing? Exactly. Right? I was just going to say, and like, it's, it's, it's either marketing or product. And yeah, marketing the, or product. the three things that you said under there, yeah, I mean, there's a little sales factor with pricing yeah. and stuff, but it's yeah, either yeah. a marketing problem or a product problem. Exactly. And so, yeah. and, and kind of like sales is like the in-between, that connects both of those things, right? Like pricing connects both of those so, things. So, yeah. Pricing is kind of, I think the yeah, uh, like nebulous corpus colossum there where yeah. you, you don't have a ton of input. Yeah. input on it and you also don't have a ton of input on sales but at the end of yeah. the day you sales needs to have some semblance of their conversion rate at a certain point shouldn't vary that much and if it does you talk to the head of sales vp of sales i'm like dude does your team suck and if he's like no my team doesn't suck then you're like okay cool we're giving you shitty leads and then you can rejigger the marketing but all things being equal your sales conversion should not after a certain point, your sales conversion rate should be within a variance of maybe, you know, half a percent or something like that. If you start yeah. to get these big kind of standard deviation events, then you really need to uh, dig down into either lead quality or the messaging. Because yeah. you could have these great conversion rates and you're like, dude, the salespeople are talking about X, Y, and Z. And you go through the gong call, you're like, holy shit, like people really care about that. Let's integrate that into the marketing messaging. Or vice versa, you're like, dude, talk to your head of sales. Like, dude, you guys are, you need to, you know, skill up your team or fire some people. Yeah, yes, that's a real conversation, and and that's a be. big part of the optimizing closest to the money is where yeah. is it breaking? Is it is, if that's the point, and how can I support and add to and that sort of? But I'll, I'll shout out to two gentlemen, constant competition with. So now that we're deep into the episode, I'll, I'll say it out loud. Yeah. Jimmy from Sendlane, what you just described, Chase, and what he's done on the socials. It's beautiful. It's such a, and I, he's tweeted something recently, X something recently about like, he had this little sticky pad from a year ago, a sticky note where it just said once a day. Yeah. And I love that. Like, dude's a killer. Dude. Right. Like, yeah. Okay. So that's the piece of getting out there by any means necessary to get in the world of the people, right. That goes right back to that real humans. And then the flip side of that too, is Mike from a postscript. Oh, dude, like rocked my world. The whole dude. impetus for this episode came he's through. He set a line when, when nothing else is working, I get on a plane. Yeah. And what he meant by that is I, I physically go and meet with either the big deals that are in the pipeline where the big deals are hanging out. And that rocked my world about two weeks ago. So I completely stole this from both of them. And I feel like now the guilt is piled up enough to be like, yo, like respect and props where it's due. Those two... Uh, some but unbeknownst to them, but also not unbeknownst to them. I was like, that's the jam right there. It's humans. Yeah. It's humans. Absolutely. Literally both no. of them said it, get, build a community, go talk to the people in person and make sure they know they feel the love. Like that's really all this whole thing is about is if you like your product's useful and people feel the love, like that's all brand community, all this other shit that we're talking about doing. People just want to feel important. Which they should. And they trade. What do you trade for it? right? It's like, it's, it's money, but it's also like, you're helping them make multiples. So I know, Ayo, I think you got a rock. Let's, um, let's so, wrap it. Yeah. Well, uh, I know he's going to be gone, but Rob, we can take it home. Okay. Amazing. So my tool of the week, I've been trying to get more out of uh, my VA and yeah. my friend showed me this thing called Jamilius. I think I'm pronouncing that right. G-M-E-L-I-U-S. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out Patrick Frank. Awesome human. And it basically allows you to do a bunch of the cool shit that you've always wanted to do with email for your assistant. So for example, you can assign like emails in your inbox to your assistant and they can reply straight from the inbox. And so 
previously that workflow for me would be like either screenshotting it or sometimes yeah. you can take a link, but the link usually breaks because you have to go through authentication, blah, blah, blah. Hey, can you reply back to this? Here's the notes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this takes away all of that. And so it makes basically makes your email list almost like a to-do list oh. for your assistant. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Pricing isn't horrible, but the setup, I'm still actually going through the setup. Patrick actually was just walking me through it. It's really, really interesting to me. And I super suck at email. And so this is something that I'm really going to try and leverage because that way my VA can then kind of hammer through all this stuff. I can just go through my email without actually having to, I know this sounds dumb, but like like closing that like conversation loop sometimes is really cognitively expensive yeah. for me versus me just being like, Hey, I don't want to talk to this person or, Hey, can you reply yeah. back to this and schedule a meeting or whatever, like actually doing the thing. Yeah. And I'm also trying to get better at delegation because, uh, I'm just getting to a place in my life where I have, and not, not at all on or braggadocious, but just more money than time. And so I, I need to be only using my time for highest value activities okay. that can generate more money, more value, more happiness in my life. And fucking with my email is not one of them. So go check yep. it out. Jamilius.com, G-M-E-L-I-U-S.com. Let me know how you're horrible. implementing or what you guys think. It's a horrible name. They should Terrible name. Rebrand that. It's literally one of the worst Name. Yeah, I think there's probably some play on Gmail or something yeah. there, but it's it's yeah. horrific. It should just be like VA optimizer, email optimizer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it ain't it. Would, it ain't would, it. Yeah, it looks like that. So I, I don't think we should go into the GTM of the week. We'll do that on the next. My growth nugget this week, since AO dropped some beauty kind of in the in the episode. Um, so good. Like so much good stuff in there. My big one is it's okay to say I don't know but make sure that you have an idea that could fill the gap. So you can say, I don't know, but what I think we could do is X, Y, and Z so that they at least can see that there's a path forward and they can trust you to figure out all the unknowns. That's like a huge thing. Like I remember reading an article a few years ago and it said the difference between an IC and a manager into, into director and executive level is sure. Canyon is a, like a, like a IC can figure out how to optimize and fix things, but they can't, they're, they don't know how to close the loop on solving a problem. And so there's yes. that lack of faith. So when you see someone, you're like, oh, they're a killer, right? This is what we say. Was, oh, they're a killer. It's because they, even from an early stage in their career, show the ability to close the problem loop yep. that you're having in a business so that you don't have to be the one to do it. And we always talk about this, like the cognitive load of solving someone else's problem. It's like yeah. 10x more than solving your own problem. Yeah. Especially if it's in the business when you have, say, this is what the money's for. You paid them to be a problem solver. You know what I mean? And so yeah. kind of stated quickly is, and I want to hear your, your feedback on this is, it's okay to say, I don't know, but always have an idea of where you could go so that people have faith that they can let leave you to solve the problem or just help guide you to add that last, last 10% that could really make it a, like a stellar solution. So, and this could be totally wrong. Um, so, you know, take over the grain of salt and make sure that it aligns with your, your company, your values, et cetera, et cetera. I don't like to say, I don't know, unless it's to people kind of like my subordinates. I never want to tell my superiors, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, and you kind of, you know, brought it back with the second thing. So for my superiors, it would be more so of like, oh, that's an interesting space I haven't explored mm -hmm. yet. Let me give me a day and I'll bring you back some ways that I think yeah. we could maximize yeah. that. Or, and again, I might be playing semantics here, but I never wanted too long, didn't read. You never want the captain to say, I don't know. And so, like, you need to yeah. be like, hey, uh, we're sailing to this, this port, like, or with this port. And then you can always maneuver it, but it's just kind of more of like a survival skill of like, I don't want to instill any sort of doubt in yeah. my leadership and my team by saying, I don't know yeah. versus, and again, there's a balance of that with having some humility. And again, that's why like with subordinates and stuff like that with Tommy or something like, Hey, Tommy, here's what I want to do. Here's when I want it. I don't know how to do it. That's your job. Like you go yeah. figure out the how. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's issues with that, but more so like, I really want to command a space of leadership and trust. Mm -hmm. And I don't know isn't necessarily, and again, this is just personally for me, I don't like to hear that. 
Yeah. I want to hear basically just the latter, not the former of what you were talking about, where it's like, oh, Chase, that's a really cool way of thinking of things. I haven't explored that path yet. Give me a day and I'll get you mm-hmm. some some ways that I think we can move this forward or try and value, validate the thesis, et cetera, et cetera, versus saying, I don't know. And, and yeah. so again, that might just be me being overly protective of political capital and perception, but that's just, and it could also be like agency world. Like that's one of the biggest no-nos in agency yeah, land. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. I don't want to say, I don't know. Like the worst thing you can do like as an agency owner or, or, or a creative, especially creatives really, especially like you never want to hear your designer, or your creative say, Oh, I don't know how to make that. Or I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like, absolutely that not. that's, that's instantaneous, like fire, you know, yeah. that's not the path. So again, not, not shitting on, I think where you're coming from, we're aligned. I just would really be cautious of the IDKs dropping those because it, it is like your job is to know. And so if you don't know, don't say, I don't know, say, oh, okay, I'll go explore this yeah. for you and give me, give me a, a timeline and I'll come back to you with some yeah. solutions. I think your cultural, the cultural component is a really important one that you shared. Also, Very big. like, so you have to know your culture of your company. Is it a yep. heavy experimentation culture? Because like, let's just say like, we're, we're both CMO, right? Yeah. Your CEO is very okay saying, I don't know. Then it doesn't really matter. Like that's coming from the top. But if you've never heard your CEO say, I don't know, then it's like, yeah. oh, I can never fucking say, I don't know. It's yeah. exactly what you said, which is I need to come with something very strong. And then there's also the personal component with like how I feel about something, how I want to do it. And what you said, there is this tax that can come if it's not a, like embedded in the culture. I think the big, the big thing you mentioned that I'm, um, that I'm a hundred percent on board for is you want to always kind of ground it in like, I think it's interesting. I'm going to go figure this out and come back An action to item. An action item. Um, I think that's a really good shift and I'm going to, I'm going to do that. The other big component of this is like, you want to make sure that there, if there's an ask that you don't have an answer to is like to go back and push back on them to ground it in first principles so that you understand what they're actually saying. So that if you say, I don't know, like, so the idea is like, okay, this is you thinking about this. What is, you know, what are we trying to do? why are we trying to like, who is it for? What are we trying to do? Blah, blah, blah. So that you have all of the information and it either essentially checks the box of what you're thinking as the, the, the wheels are spinning in your head at that moment. Or you're like X, 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 like my ideas are wrong or their ideas are wrong. And you can push back and say like, look, now I have a full, like a holistic understanding of what we're trying to accomplish. I'm going to like amazing idea, right? Obviously like yeah. wrap the, sh- the sugar in the uh, shit in the sugar sandwich. Right. Yeah. And then go, off and like you say, have that day to figure that out. I think that's almost a better framework than what I pitched at the top, to be completely honest with you, is what we're talking about now based on your pushback. So I think it's, it's great. Yeah. And the other thing that I would add on is a great clarifying question or questions is, and the second comes a little later, but the first is really important, especially if you have like a CEO or a boss that has shiny object syndrome, which is pretty much everyone is what's the goal and making sure that that goal is aligned with whether you have OKRs or whatever the the targets are for said quarter and say, okay, cool. What's the goal? And then it's your job to understand, Hey, is this actually going to get me closer to my goal? Is this more of just, you know, boss's prerogative and you dance monkey dance or, and just giving you that kind of uh, specificity in that. And then from that, you can, if you need more clarity, but this is candidly a question you should answer, but like, what does success and failure look like? And and so usually your boss won't say that, but sometimes if it's a very high level initiative, they might have some off the top, off the cuff response. But really I found that the best way to kill silly ideas is root them in goals and you can say, okay, cool. It's a really interesting take, boss. I, I, wow, you're so creative. What goal do you think this is going to support, or how? And then they'll either walk themselves like down the path to see a better way, or they'll realize that it was a bit of a kind of preposterous idea in the first place, and then you can get it off your plate without having to disagree with them or kind of like the 48 laws of power. Like very rarely do you want to show up your boss. You really want to empower them and understand how you can further their journey. 
Yeah. Um, so that that's all I'd say. I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but it's a, it's yeah. actually a, a more complex question than it than it sounds no, like, and it's something I, that yeah, if you don't handle it correctly, it can be yeah, not great. But when you do yeah. handle it correctly, it can be yeah. really powerful to understand and expedite a lot of um, whether it be promotions, trust in you from the boss, et cetera, et cetera. Hundred percent. Well, take us home, dude. Crushed it. Yeah. What do we got? We got Creative OS just dropped, right? The yeah, yeah. you did dropped something really cool. Dropped the SaaS today. Yeah, absolutely. Creative OS just dropped. We're going through the marketing one courses right now together in the cohort. The gals are killing it. Definitely going to have some cool stuff there to share with you all. What else I got? Nothing really too crazy. I'm doing uh, marketing land next week out here in Austin. So that should be fun. I might actually, are you doing Grow LA? I might pop out to Grow LA on the 17th. You're going to Blue Ribbon too, right? I'm, I'll be at Blue Ribbon. I'm not speaking, but I, I, I will be there. Um, powerful Ezra Firestone. Yeah. And then, yeah, man, it's just been really cool to uh, get back on the mic with you, doing a lot of cool stuff in Notion that we'll share shortly, maybe in some templates or something like that. But it's been really cool to uh, jam with you on kind of higher level, just getting stuff together and systematized. Uh, It's just been really awesome to banter that back and forth. And what else I got for you? Oh, my boy, uh, Sonder just launched his energy drink company. It's actually powders. But buffed energy, very, very oh, liquid death fun. vibes. You it's actually, it, it, yeah, it fucks pretty hard. And then tons of unboxing. So I got an uh, uh, influencer box from Powerful Berry Hot. If you guys are just listening to this, I'm pointing to the big Raw Worms influencer box. Yeah. And then I have a, another piece of content to do around the 7-Eleven uh, D2C store, which is Bro. sensational oh, i finally yeah. got my bowling shirt in but yeah. they have like an iced uh iced out slurpee like somebody do oh. a whole piece of content on that yeah. but other than that uh make sure to subscribe i don't think we have youtube's up yet youtube's is coming ish no, no. this is this is a q4 we have two q4 this is here. it we're in a long amazing newsletter and youtube and give it to give it to the people it's not for us yeah. it's for the people we're, we're men it's of the people Men of the people we are. Um, and then, yeah, man. So that's pretty much it. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the potty. Um, leave us any reviews and then ping us and let us know how we can make this more better. Again, I think the segments are going to be really, really awesome. And then as Chase alluded to, every week we'll be going through some semblance of almost like you can think of it like a business school case study where we're going to start to break down some of these brands and their GTM motions, yeah. um, whether that be product-led or sales-led or a hybrid motion, and just kind of scream from the cheap seats. Who doesn't love that? Oh, love it. This is a favorite thing, dude. That's it. That's yeah. it. All right, guys, this was fun. This was fun. Thanks, everybody. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to, you know, just three buddies doing what they do for on a Zoom call anyway. So this is fun. That's it. Amazing. Right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.